<coughs> we are learning Daf Chav Zayin. We're starting from the very bottom line here. And Chav Vav Amid Beis. The Gemara says, Amar Shmuel. Shmuel says, Yisa Adam Doime. Ba'al Yisa Bas Doime. So the idea is that Doima is a person who has some bad reputation. So if a person has, has a choice about one of two women to marry, he could either marry the Doima, which is a woman herself with a bad reputation, some sort of, you know, some sort of Saita kind of a story that happened, something promiscuous. It's not necessarily something where she's uh, known with, with absolute testimony to be also, but there's Doima, so it's a reputation. Or you can marry the daughter of a woman who has a bad reputation. So, bad reputation, same thing. The mother may, may have been uh, having relations with other people. Uh, it could have been with a mom's hair. It could have possibly been Stamaraznos. So, those are the two options he has. Who is the better one to marry? So, we say better to marry the woman herself with a bad reputation, according to the first opinion, than to marry the daughter of the woman with a bad reputation. What's the smart? Shazu Bamiti Pakshero. The woman who herself has the bad reputation, but her parents. The tipa, literally the seed which formed her, there's no concern with. In other words, there's no issue with the parents, and therefore the seed that formed her, we don't see any issue with. Ah, her actions, her actions are external. However, Zu, the daughter, Bami Tipa Psula, is coming from an unfit seed, meaning to say, there's always, first of all, a possibility that, you know, once a mother's promiscuous, she could be having relations with anybody. So we don't know exactly who it could be. It could be a guy, it could be a mavs, or it could be anything like that. And even if it's, and even if it's, um, a guy where it's not necessarily a huge pasalist, but it's definitely sort of tainted yichas. So the point is that the yichas aspect is a greater variable than the avera aspect. So that's the first view. Marry the, uh, the woman who herself has the bad reputation than the daughter, the woman with a bad reputation. However, not everyone agrees with Be'echon Amar. Just the opposite. You should prefer to marry the daughter with the woman with a bad reputation. Do not marry the woman herself with a bad reputation. This one, the daughter, her chazaka. Again, we don't know. The mother has a bad reputation. But the daughter, we could assume... It's a presumption that she is fit. As the woman with the bad reputation herself, she does not have that chazaka. What is the reason with this? Rashi explains that even an adulterous woman, we assume her, her intimacy comes more frequent with her husband than with other people. So therefore, when you're looking at the child, when you're looking at the daughter of this promiscuous woman, you're always going to assume it's from her husband as opposed to being from the extras. Mashiach and her, this woman herself, so then, you know, it doesn't make sense to be with her after she's been with all these possible people. So that's a svar of Rebbeichon that we're just going to follow. The roiv of the Be'ilots, we assume they'll come from the Baal, and we'll look at the child without much of a possibility that it came from anyone besides her husband. So the Gemara has a kash on Rebbeichon. And basically it says in a bright side, So the Lashon here is that a person may marry a woman with bad reputation. It sounds like that there's no reservations that a person should have about marrying a woman with bad reputation. That's against Rebbeichon. Rebbeichon would seem to be saying that should be avoided. What's the Girsi here makes sense? It makes sense to go for it. Like that's the ideal woman to marry is a woman with, a, with, a, with such a reputation. Of course, what we have to do is amend the Girsi here to say, if he married, then he may keep her. So once we're amending the Bri'ai, so why don't you just amend it and say that, 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 that if he married the daughter of the Duma, then that is okay. So we change the Girsa instead of saying the Duma herself to the Bas Duma, which is again based upon Rabbi Yochanan's view of the Chazaka, that we assume that the daughter uh, did not come 
from anyone else besides her husband. How does the Gemara Paskin He saw them is that it's preferable to marry the daughter. Like Rabbi Yochanan said, Ba'isa Duma, don't marry the woman with a bad reputation herself. The Tanur of Tachli Barabbim, the Kamei Rabbavo, Tachliif of marriage itself, said the Brisa in front of Rabbavo. He taught the following Brisa: Ishim is not up next year, and even woman is an adulteress. Her her daughters. Her sons are, are kosher to marry regular Jews. What's the pshat? Ah, she's an adulteress. Confirmed adulteress even here. So, so should we should assume the kids are no good? The answer is rov vilos acharbal. Most of the relations that she'll have will be together with her husband, even though she might be with other men as well. So therefore, we'll assume that the children are still kosher. There's no concern that she was conceived through adultery when I look at the child. Says the Gemara, and this is obviously the follow-up here. What if it's an exceedingly extreme case where she's just promiscuous like crazy. So then what's the halacha? Can we, have to cons- can we still assume that most of the bias were from the husband? Or in the case where she's proved to be yaiser, there it makes more sense that we should have to be concerned that they're moms there. So the Gemara qualifies now. And some of the signs here might not make so much sense with the way we have today. But uh, certainly, certain biological need the changes have occurred over time. So the Gemara says, There's one opinion in Nida that says that the time that a woman is most likely to conceive is before the beginning of the period, of her period. And evidently the blood helps in the role of helping her conceive. So right before the time of the period, according to this opinion, is the most likely time for a woman to conceive. So according to the view that that's the one she probably is conceiving, you don't have any question. Meaning, we're going to have to be concerned that the children are forbidden. The husband at that time doesn't know when her period is. You don't know exactly when it's going to come. It's unpredictable. And therefore, he can't guard her at that time from adultery. At the time, the high frequency of pregnancy which is right before the period. That's an unknown. What's right before the period? We don't know. We don't know when the period is going to come. So therefore, it's difficult to guard his wife at that time. So if she's promiscuous in an extreme sense, we'd have to assume that the children are from um, are not from her husband. But when do we have the reason to wonder? The opposite. According to the opinion that says that a woman conceives right up by the time of her immersion, the day that she immerses herself in the mikvah the next day. So then that makes sense now that there's a very much a set time, a programmed time, a known time to the husband about when his wife is most likely to conceive right after she goes to the mikvah. So therefore... In that view, we can say, keep it the other one, We can say, since he knows about the immersion, it's knowledge to him, it's common to him to know about it. So therefore, he could guard her at that time. So even though she's promiscuously very, she, she's extremely promiscuous, but he has that ability to be aware of it and guard uh, accordingly. At the end of the day, she's an extremely promiscuous woman. Lo, there's no such concept here of, of, of guarding. Rashi says she knows how to slip away suddenly. You know, she knows how to cunningly move away when, from him. So therefore, lo, we can't guard her. And the Gemara says, take it. We do not resolve the question. Again, the question is, for a regular woman, we know that even if she's an adulteress, the children are kosher. We assume Robilas Akharbal. If she's extremely promiscuous, the Gemara wants to know. The Gemara is clarifying that the question is specifically, according to the opinion, that a woman is most likely to conceive after the time of the immersion when the husband may be aware of those facts and has the capability to guard her. And the Gemara wants to know, can we assume that he can guard her or do we assume that she can slip away and therefore the children would not be kosher? Okay, now we get back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah mentioned the case where the husband's away, the husband's out of commission. Husband perhaps is imprisoned or became deranged, and therefore he's not warning his wife against Sota. So the basin will step in and make the kinoi, make the warning, and will be effective that the woman will become also on her husband and lose the ksuba. But it wouldn't be effective for her to drink. So the Gemara now expounds on Rabbanon, says in a Ish, 
The Torah could have just said a man, right? The Pasuk says, ish, ish, kisis, that ish, so. So it's a, it's a double language, ish, ish. So ma'atam, alamar, ish, ish, why in the double, the rabbos, it comes to include ish, ish, cherish, you have the wife of a deaf mute, but ish, ish, the wife of a deranged man. And again, the scenario is that they weren't like that in the onset of the marriage. The marriage was legally binding, then they developed uh, these illnesses, which makes that now they're really out of commission. Ish, ish, the wife of an insane man, different sort of form of uh, insanity here, or the husband is overseas, or he's in prison. So the apostolic is telling you, but that a court will warn these women to disqualify them from collecting the ksuba. And what's interesting is that this is darshan from the extra word ish. So we're expounding that not only the husband, like that's the drasha, ish, ish, not only the husband himself, even another agent of the husband. And that's the lumbus, that basin becomes like the shliach of the husband in order to make the kinoi. So it's valid. Now that the Pasuk is including them. For the kinoi, so you might say that the warning is effective to the even for the din, that they can drink the soda water. After all, we're saying they're in place of the husband. So maybe it's not only effective that they become asar on the husband after stiram to lose the ksuba. Maybe it's effective even in the greater sense that they actually go through the soda process. To tell us differently, the Pasuk says, The man will bring his wife. Only the husband can make her drink, not the court. If it's not the husband himself, then there's no drinking. But Rabbi Yossi says, so not true. The warning of the court is effective to give her to drink. When the husband comes out of prison, he will give her to drink. So notice Rabbi Yossi agrees that the person who's actually giving her the drink, the person who's bringing her off to Yushalayim is not the court. But the question is, if the warning was from the husband, I'm sorry, if the warning was from the court and then the husband comes back, can the husband bring her up? That's the question. Uh, the Tanakhama seemed to be saying the warning itself is in it that the court does, that cannot make her drink, even if the husband then comes back in the picture. Whereas with Yaisios, no. If the warning came from the court, the husband could then act upon that warning and make her drink. That's the Machlok. Says the Gemara from Michael Mufti, what's the root of the dispute? Rabbanan Sabrina and Bikini Behavior, the Rabbana, the Tanakama holds that there's a din and he warned and he should bring, meaning the, the juxtaposition of Bikini Behavior tells us that only the same person who made the warning can bring her to the base and make the drink. So yes, it's true that we're Marva Basin to make a warning, but if Basin can't bring her to drink, then the husband can't bring her to drink based upon the court's warning. Rabbi doesn't dash in that juxtaposition that the maybe has to be the same one who made the kinoi. So therefore he says, there's no issue. The court can make the kinoi and then the husband would be able to bring her to, to make her drink based upon that. Says the Gemara, Tana Rabbanam, we learn in the Brisa Asher, Tista Isha Tachas Isha, when a woman goes astray under her husband. So the Hakish Ish Le Isha, the Isha Le Ish, we're comparing a man to a woman and a woman to a man. Meaning we're, in a certain way, we're comparing the Sutta to her husband in a certain way. In what, what sense? Like what, what, what halachos are you learning apply to the Sutta that apply by her husband and vice versa? Just as if the husband is blind, she wouldn't drink. Where do we know that from? It says in the Pasuk, it was hidden from the eyes of the husband. So he uses the words, so we interpret that on a literal sense. If the husband is blind, he's a nine or not functioning, so then she cannot become a sota, even though, of course, the husband can have his suspicions and grounds for his suspicion, even if he is blind. But the Pasuk emphasizes, so a blind husband does not bring his wife to drink. So just as, if he was of Suma, she doesn't drink. So make the drasha now and say we compare the wife to the man. And if she's a Suma, then um, she doesn't drink. And this again, this is regardless of whether the husband is blind. A second approach. So just as the woman is lame or she's missing a limb, she doesn't drink. The Pasuk says, 
It says by the mincha, he makes her stand, and then he puts the mincha on her palm. So we learn both of those points. She has to be able to stand. There's a dinah mada, so she's lame, it doesn't work. And second of all, if her palms aren't working, not effective, she's missing a limb over there, it doesn't work. The Kohen is to be able to put the mincha on her. So too, we compare that now to the husband. Kach, so too. Who in kachu? If the husband was lame or his hands were missing, he doesn't cause her to drink. Another halacha that we compare between them, just as if the woman was mute, she cannot utter speech, then she doesn't drink. When the Kohen is mashvia here, adjures her with the shvua, she responds with the words, amen, amen. So if she cannot speak, then she cannot be a sota. So to with the husband, if he is mute, does not cause her to drink. So we learn a bunch of halachas here. Even though they don't really make sense and the other spouse, but we learn a bunch of halachos which compare the din of a husband to a wife. Okay, now we move on here, and really this is going to take us the second half of the Masech that takes us away from Sota to a large extent. A lot of it is a tangent. So just to understand that the tangents, really, we don't start off on a tangent. If Mishnah starts off, just as the water's tester, there's a test to him as well. The Gemara will tell us that the him that the waters are testing are the adulterer. The suspected adulterer could also get punished. The waters could somehow get to him, affect him, and he can also be punished. And we're going to have to explain explaining the Gemara what exactly the drasha is coming from. It says, It says it a bunch of times. So the simple shot is that, you know, it's testing the water, but we're expounding as well that it enters and that it tests uh, the man. And we'll try to figure out, is it the vav, uvau, is it the extra word? We're going to have different approaches here in the, uh, in, in the Gemara. Kishim she'asura labau, just as she becomes usher to her husband. Kach asura labau, so to a sota is usher to her adulterer. And that, that's a permanent thing. Let's say, um, for whatever reason, she doesn't drink. The husband didn't consent to it. She refused. So then she got divorced. So then she wouldn't, she's permanently ushered both to her husband and the adulterer. She cannot, uh, she cannot go back. She remains ushered forever. And to the bush. And remember, where do we get that from? Nitma vinitma. It says she's defiled and she became defiled, right? It says it twice. Or maybe the point is again that it says it with a vav. So that's Divirabi Akiva. That's where Akiva Darshan. That's where Akiva knows the Isra Labal from the Vinitma. Amar Rabbi Yeshua, Kachaya Dorish, Zachariah ben Akatsav. Zachariah ben Akatsav expounded Rabbi Yahim. That's how he said it, Vinitma. Rabbi Yahim, no, there's a different source. Forget about the vav, it just says it twice. And we expound So it would seem that the issue here is whether I expounded from the added vav or if I expounded from the extra term of nitma. And we'll see more about that. So Alkopanim, now that we darshaned, now that we darshaned these things with these joshuas, the Gemara goes on to another teaching that Rabbi Akiva made that reminds us, you know, oh, someone said like this and another person learned differently. And it's going to be a very long tangent. Bobayom on that day. So that day, this is the day Rashi says that Reb Blasman is was appointed Nasi. You might remember the story of the Gemara Brachos, a long, uh, long discussion when Rikam Leel ruled for a while. At a certain point, they removed Rikam Leel from being a Nasi. And then after a story that he embarrassed Reb Yeshua, and then eventually we put. They put Rabbi Lezben Nazari in as Nazi, and he had a different approach about letting people into the base measures. The base measures became open and free to everybody. And uh, after that, many new halachos were expounded. So on that day, Darsh Rabbi Akiva. The Pasuk is talking about the way that Tumah affects an earthenware clay. So let's just understand a little bit of background. How does most Kalim 
are mekabel from the outside. So meaning, let's say a dead cherish touches the outside of a metal oven, the metal oven now contracts tuma. Earthenware works differently. Earthenware, as a dead rodent, it's on the in, it's inside the interior of the oven, so then it can it gives off tuma to the to, to the cleat to the oven. From the outside, the oven does not contract tuma. Earthenware is only mekabel tuma when something is in its interior. So how does it work? So a dead cherish will let's say be in av hatuma. That means that the cleat the oven is now going to become a Rishon Latoma, one level down. So now the Pasuk says as follows. It says, that some Toma fell into the interior. Everything that is inside will also be Tameh. So what does that mean? Not only is the Kli becoming Tameh, but then let's say I had some bread that was baking in the oven. So if there was some bread that was baking in the oven, so then the bread would also become Tameh. So what would this, so again, let's just go over that with the levels. The, the, the Sheretz is an Avatama. The Kli is, is going to become a Rishon Latoma. If there's bread inside the oven, it will be a Shani Latoma. So very good. This is a source for the concept of Shani Latoma. However, we know, it doesn't say that the bread will be Tameh. Yitma is a stronger word. And we're going to expound, since the Torah doesn't have his, does not have vowels, instead of reading it, Yitma shall be Tameh, but rather we say Yitameh. It shall cause other things to become Tameh. You know what that means? That means that the bread in the oven will be so Tameh that if it touches another food, that other food will be Tameh. So what does that mean? That means that we've just expounded on the concept of a Shlishi Latoma. The rodent is an Avatoma. The, 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 um, the the sheretz is an avatam, and the oven will become a rishon. The bread inside is now yitame. It will become so tame. It will pass on tuma to other things. The bread is a sheni. It will pass on tuma now to make something else. Eshlishi latame acherim limar kikoshini. We learn from here that the loaf which was a sheni that was inside the earthenware oven where sheretz was there. Shemitamis eshlishi kibimitamis eshlishi. Now the lum this here is. You might say, wait a second. Is who said? That the sheretz is making the 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 kli tame, and then the kli is being matame the the bread. Maybe the sheretz that's that and the bread which are both inside the oven at the same time. So maybe the bread is directly becoming tame from the sheretz, which would mean it's a rishon. We say that's not the way it works. The way it works is that the sheretz is matame the kli. The kli then is matame the bread which is inside, which means that the bread is only a sheni. So if we're reading the pasuk yitma, as if it said yitame, so then we're learning now we have a source that for a shlishi. And the reason this is such a big novelty is the pasuk is not only talking about truma. So we're learning even by Hulin as the concept of Tumah being passed from Shani all the way to the level of Shlishi. So Rabbi Yeshua heard this. Who removed the cover of dirt from your eyes? Rabbi Yochum and Zaka. So at this point, Rabbi Yochum and Zaka was had passed, and he had spoken about this issue. So that's why he's covered in dust. He's saying, "I wish you could come back to life now, Yochum and Zakai. Someone could remove the dirt, and you could hear what was just had, what was just happened. Why? Because Shaiisa Omar, you Rabbi Yochum and Zaka used to say that there's going to be a future generation." It's going to say that a shlishi is tar, even if the loaf is truma, because there really is no pasuk in the Torah that indicates that there's a shlishi by, even by truma. Shlishi is something which is not really found. In other words, you have to find the levels because at a certain point you could say, who said it's, it's, it's connected enough to tuma? In other words, it's not a svara that tuma just passes on and on and on and on. Since tuma goes down at a level, each thing that it contacts, you have to have a present, you have to have a source that is there. So Rabbi Yochum and Zakar was concerned that people aren't going to know a source that Truma can become Tameh as a Shlishi. They might not be aware of it. He was nervous how it was going to be preserved. And here, Rabbi Akiva, your Talmud over here, now really it's not 
direct Talmud, Rabbi Kiva didn't learn by Rabbi Yochum and Zaka, but he learned Rabbi Lazar, who then learned before from Rabbi Yochum and Zaka. So it's as if he was from Rabbi Yochum and Zaka. So Rabbi Akiva, your disciple, has just found the Pasuk, Shemar Kalash Rabbi Zoha Yitma. So it's like you would have a lot of nachas, Rabbi Yochum and Zaka, if you walked into the base of Ezra today and you experienced what just happened. Says the Gemara, another Joshua Boba, Yom Darsh Rabbi Akiva. The Pasuk here is talking about the boundaries of the Ari Levim. The Levim were granted certain cities in Eretz Israel. So the Pasuk says, you give them the city, and then they were meant to be like these beautiful cities. So, you know, you could talk about uh, what's the right way to make a city beautiful, what's the right architecture and everything. But the one thing that the Pasuk says, that you measure from outside the city, is on the eastern side, there are 2,000 Amas. There are 2,000 Amas that surround the city. Now, another Pasuk says, in the wall, it's an outward 1,000 Amas. So basically, you're leaving these borders, these like unoccupied, unbuilt um, uh, borders that go around of space and that's all meant for beautification of the city. But the problem is that it's a conflict if it's 1,000 Amma or 2,000 Amma, from one positive to the next. Yeah, Shalom or Alabama, you can't say it's only 1,000 Amma. Shikvan Amma Alabama, Amma already said 2,000. Yeah, Shalom Alabama, you can't say 2,000. Shikvan Amma Alabama, it says 1,000. So which one is it? Hakeitzad, how do we resolve? Alabama and Migrash. 1,000 Amma was the open space given to them to be part of the city. This that the Pasuk mentions, 2,000 Amma, you know what it's talking about? Tchum Shabbos. It's measuring out the Tchum Shabbos. Rabbi Yekiva Shita is that the Tchum Shabbos is Midaraifa, that there's a source from the Torah, you can't walk more than 2,000 Amma outside the city limits. This Rabbi Yekiva is darting from here. Just to clarify, everybody agrees, at least the Ramam learns this way, everyone agrees that uh, there is a source for Tchum and Midaraifa. The question is, is it 2,000 Amma or is it a greater amount? So Rabbi Akiva is learning that from the Pasuk, it's talking about Tchum Shabbos, so it's a greater, so it's even just a finite amount of 2,000 Amma would violate Tchum Shabbos. Rabbi Lezer Benosh, Rabbi Yitzhak, Amar, Rabbi Lezer, Son of Rabbi says, Elif Amma Migrash, Rapaima Amma Sadat Sukramim. No, 1,000 is the open space, and then 2,000 is fields and vineyards. So that's what we're saying. We're saying what, what, what it is. The 1,000 Amma that's closest to the city was just for beauty that was left totally open. The remaining 1,000 Amma, they cultivated them, they fields vineyards and stuff like that. Continues the Mishnah, Boba Yom Dasher, we keep it, we keep it, Dasher, and all the thing on that day. All Yosher, Moshe, Ben Esau, Sashir, Esau, Sashem, by Yom Rulemar. So by Yom Rulemar, and they said, and saying, it doesn't have to say and saying, it seems superfluous. What is it saying? They sing it with repetition, meaning Moshe would sing, and then Klal Yisrael would respond to each and every phrase that they say. Your garden is hollow, similar to what we do at certain points in the hollow. That's why it says saying. No, they read it the way people say the Shema, not the way people read the Hal. So he agrees with the basis of it, but he's disagreeing on the way that it's done, the way that the repetition was done. Now, what in the world is that talking about? What's the subtlety? So that we have to wait for the Gemara to expound. Says the Mishnah, yet one other time, Boba Yom Darsh Rabbi Yeshua ben Horkinus. Lo avad Iov as Hakadosh Baruch Hu Elmehava. The midah of Iov, Iov went through and endured tremendous suffering, and he still served God. So the midah of Iov was that it was out of love, meaning to say, he loved Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and that's why he continued to serve him, even though he was afflicted. Shemar Hain Iktalini. It says about by Iov, or even if Hakadosh Baruch Hu were to kill me, lo ayachel to him, I would still yearn. I die in a but just from that pasuk alone, you still might not be sure because what does it mean? Lo ayachel? Is it lo ani metzape? Doesn't mean I would learn from him. Oh, ani metzape? I should not. I would not yearn. Meaning, it says lo. So if it's lamid vav, then it means to him, which sounds like an expression of love of God. But you could also say it's lamid aleph, which means ani, which said I will not. 
I will not yearn, meaning it's not saying that he's so devoted to God. So which one is it? You wouldn't know. So the Pasuk says elsewhere, The Pasuk says about Eov, until I perish, I will not remove my tumasi, my wholesomeness from myself. So he's saying no matter what, my loyalty, you know, I will never waver from it. So we see from here that he's acting out of love of HaKadosh Baruch So this is what uh, it, was, it was expounded. So Rabbi Yeshua, this is what Rabbi Yeshua ben Horkin has said. So you just understand there's two Yeshua's, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah and Rabbi Yeshua ben Horkin. So this was Yeshua ben Horkin at Darshan. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah, here's this, Rabbi Yeshua, Migal Afer Minachor, Rabbi Yochum and Zakai. You would remove the dust from your eyes, Rabbi Yochum and Zakai. You would, uh, you would, you, you should hear this. Why? Why should you hear this? You actually said to the contrary that Eov used to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu out of yira, not out of love, but rather out of fear. It says about Eov, he was wholesome and upright, fearing of Hashem and pushing away evil. So you know this is a pretty clear pasuk that he was uh, even miyira. So now you show up in Horkinus, your Talmud's Talmud is now suddenly saying that it was Oyved out of love. So we'll have to see in the Gemara how does each one deal with the other Pesukim, but that was the dispute. If, if Eov did, he served HaKadosh Baruch out of Ahava or out of Yira. Why did he have to be 